0: are entering the Freedom Hut.
1: Impeachment fever hits the swamp perhaps a bit earlier than anticipated. The deep state and its media allies are gathering on the political battlefield against Trump. They hope to slow down and perhaps even stop his administration with these preposterous allegations from within the deep state anti trumper ranks. We'll talk about that. Plus, South Africa is targeting white farmers and following up on the case of Molly Tibbetts and how the left is approaching illegal aliens. That and more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show.
0: This, this is The Buck Sexton, Sexton Show. Show, where the mission, where mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make. make no mistake. America.
2: You're a your great American again.
0: The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD, Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. The president of the United States of America, Donald J. Trump, is named a co-conspirator of a federal crime. Is that ground for impeachment?
3: Do you think impeachment is more likely at this point? Impeachment. 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 Impeachment.
4: impeachment.
3: Does this move the needle at all?
0: More confidence to move forward on impeachment. The president facing impeachment. Impeachment will be on the Democrats' agenda. The I-word impeachment. The I-word impeachment. The, the I-word
4: impeachment. The I-word. The I-word
0: and impeachment. Let's take a look at the process of impeachment. 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 Impeachment, impeachment. to impeach. Or impeachment. Impeachment he would have been impeached. All of it bringing impeachment back to the forefront. Talking about impeachment.
3: Impeachment talk. Impeachment is a more viable option. Do you think it would be appropriate to
0: immediately begin impeachment proceedings? Impeachment. Impeachable. Impeachment. 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 Impeachment.
2: Impeachment. I don't know how you can impeach somebody who's done a great job. I'll tell you what, if I ever got impeached, I think the market would crash. I think everybody would be very poor because without this thinking uh, you would see you would see numbers that you wouldn't believe in reverse if Hillary Clinton got elected instead of 4.1 up and each point is three and a half trillion dollars and ten million jobs when I took it over it was at one and it was going to be down it was going down I freed up I got rid of regulations the tax cut was a tremendous thing but even before the tax cut, right from first day I got rid of regulation, I approved the pipelines, 48,000 jobs, but I did a lot of things. Had Hillary and the Democrats gotten in, had she been president, you would have had negative growth.
1: Welcome to the Buck Saxon Show, everybody. Very different views there of, of, of impeachment, of course. The, the media... We really we, we ran through that. I think producer Mike pulled this together. It was a hundred and something mentions of impeachment on cable news in a 24 hour period. I mean, that's just they're all over. It. One thing that I have to say I, I find very amusing is this this narrative now that they don't want it to be too blatant. Two hundred. I'm sorry. Thank you, Mike. 222 mentions of impeachment. They don't want it to be too blatant that they are all along playing this political game, right? So what they do is they say, oh no, we are waiting until the facts come out. We're waiting until the Mueller report. We're waiting until we see what Cohen has and all that. No, they're not waiting for anything. They're not sure if they want to be up front with anyone outside of their, outside of their hardcore left-wing base about the fact that their only, their only way of, of dealing with Trump is to try to get rid of Trump. They can't beat him. So they're trying to take him off the playing field, right? They they can't match him. They don't have anybody who can go toe to toe with him, and so the response that that you get from them is just trying to take him out of the game, right? I mean, this is it's appalling, folks, but this is who they are. This is how the left operates now, um, and uh, we will continue to to just sit here and and hear and, and hear them. Pretend that they haven't already made up their minds on impeachment. Does anyone really take that seriously? I mean, come on, come on. This is like when you you have these. Uh, the, I think it's at least four different senators now who have come out to say, "Oh, we won't meet with we won't meet with Kavanaugh because Trump's an unindicted co-conspirator," which is a, just a really a kind of legalese way of slandering somebody. Right? Unindicted co-conspirator. I mean, what, what does that mean? It doesn't really mean anything. It just means that somebody thinks you did something bad, but they don't have the goods on you or the willingness to actually charge you with it, which means you have no ability to defend yourself. And it means it will not be adjudicated, won't go before a judge. So it's just like a thing that somebody says, man, it's uh, not nearly as damning as they pretend. But you have these four senators who say we will not meet with Kavanaugh. And it's funny because they've all already, I think, gone on the record as not being willing to meet with Kavanaugh. I mean to to see the posturing from Democrats about how this guy this Yale law school educated super legal mind is is a problem for them is just pathetic. They know they have to do it but we all know that there's no there's no real basis for it other than pandering to their base. Right? Trying to uh, trying to put on a show for the MSNBC watchers out there. It's not based in any principle, it's not based in any Real jurisprudential concerns. Uh, but the left is never really about that, as you know. About power, about seizing power, about attaining power, utilizing it. That is the prime motivator. That is number, that is number one. Uh, but this notion of impeachment, I, I just have to say it's uh it's something that we all know is there, and the media is now very much talking about it. And We can expect that if the Democrats take the House, that's what's going to happen. And oh, then we can hear then we can deal with all the unifying and healing effects of a drawn out, let's say, 18 month long impeachment process of President Trump. We're going to hear so much more about Russia collusion and all this other all these other fantasies that these leftists have that if nothing else, folks, we've got to get Republican turnout up high for the midterm so we don't have to go through that. Just the endless hearings where these people make fools of themselves. You know, Well, I think Papadopoulos is some kind of international super spy and Carter Page, they were totally justified in the FISA warrant on him. These are things that only idiots or liars could say at this point. It's just not serious. I think there are plenty of Democrats who are, uh, who are unserious people. But they, they say that they're waiting to impeach him. They're not going to wait. It's just a function of trying to play a little cat and mouse with the public here. And not make it too obvious that this is what they want to do. There's a little bit of breaking news late in the day that I wanted to get to with you, though. That ties into all this. David Pecker. Uh, and people are already having a lot of fun with his name and the headlines and everything else. I will not do that here on the show. Because my name is Buck. And I did not like it when I was a kid. And people would play the name game. You know, Buck, Buck, Bull Buck, Fanana, Fana, they used to say. We all know how that would rhyme, and that would go, and it was very sad. But people are playing games with David Pecker, with his name, and uh, he's the CEO of the National Enquirer, which I'm sure, I mean, of all the guys in media who've probably got some wild stories, this guy's pretty high on the list, right? I mean, if you could sit down with somebody and and have a, a long chat about the stuff that they've been privy to and just everything else. I mean, yeah, obviously the National Enquirer publishes you know, the, a baby with the horns of a devil, you know, born in the Arizona desert or something, right? I mean, they do all kinds of really weird, they, they, are, they are a purveyor of fake news, although they are the ones who broke the John Edwards story, which I, I always have to remind people that the, the mainstream media, with all their resources, with all their investigative journalists, they didn't break the John Edwards story. John Edwards with his love with his love child and his mistress and everything else. That was actually a National Enquirer reporter who broke that. Uh, and, and they got a lot of heat for it. I think they actually ended up getting, a, what you get a, a Pulitzer or something for it? I think they did actually get an award for it. Uh, if they didn't, they should have. But they published a lot of direct, a lot of nonsense too. And remember, Edwards, that whole story, this is kind of interesting how it comes full circle. The National Enquirer broke the John Edwards Love, love Child Mistress story and The National Enquirer, and and that story, rather, is the closest approximation of what people are saying Trump did, unproven, unfounded, what Trump did to pay off these uh, two women. And so it all kind of ties in together, right? The John Edwards story of paying off the women was broken by the National Enquirer. And now the National Enquirer CEO, and this is the breaking news from today, granted immunity in the Michael Cohen case. Now, this could get lost in a lot of the other headlines. So much other stuff going on in Manafort and Trump sat down with Ainsley Ear- Earhart today, who's just fantastic. I'm, a, I'm an Ainsley Earhart fan. Uh, but, you know, Tr- Trump sat down and had this long interview today. There's a lot of stuff to get to. We've got more on Molly Tibbetts. I'm going to talk to you about what's going on with white farmers in South Africa. A lot of, lot of ground to cover with you today, as we always do. Here's what this story really shows you, though. I mean, there's the, the basics of it are that uh, uh, Mr. Pecker... Uh, Not to be confused with Walter Peck, the EPA chief who is the protagonist in the movie Ghostbusters. Uh, Mr. Pecker, who's the CEO of American Media, has uh, shared details with prosecutors about payments Mr. Cohen arranged in an effort to silence the two women who alleged sexual encounters with Mr. Trump, including Mr. Trump's knowledge of the deals, according to the Wall Street Journal here. So we're going to get more information about all this, but let me just go go to this point, folks. They are walking around meaning the federal prosecutors are going around and they're handing out immunity deals like candy. Uh, And and they are also flipping people by pushing. I mean, they're using every weapon in their prosecutor's arsenal here against anybody in Trump's orbit to just get damaging stuff on Trump. What we have seen is the Mueller probe turn into an oppo research arm with the authority to ruin people's lives and basically send them to prison for the DNC, for Hillary Clinton's now uh, much scorned losing political campaign. They cannot do this without us looking at how they treated Hillary Clinton, the email probe. Did they flip anybody against Hillary Clinton? Did they put anybody in an adversarial uh, prosecutorial environment? Did they give did they give out unbelievable immunity to people there to protect them as they were trying to find a way to justify what Hillary Clinton did with her emails? The answer is, of course, yes. This is not whataboutism. about If you are unwilling to see this, you are blinded by partisan ideology. You're you're being, again, unserious because this was not long ago. This involves two political candidates. It's all tied in together. And some of the same people that were involved in that process are involved in this process now. they certainly the same Department of Justice. They're trying to flip everybody against Trump. They're trying to turn everyone around him in his inner circle against Trump. I, I have to say, I think it's just a matter of time before they go after, legally go after a member of Trump's family. And I, I think that is a, a red line that uh, up to this point they have not crossed, but I'm starting to think that they're going to they're do it. They're going to really try to put... Donald Trump Jr. or some other member of the Trump family or, you know, the inner circle in some form of legal, real legal jeopardy. Uh, That's how dirty and underhanded this anti-Trump team is willing to play. This whole thing is a farce, my friends. We can't lose sight of that. When Trump says no collusion in all caps as he did today, he's just stating a fact. There was no collusion. This is ridiculous. Um, I, I had the opportunity to speak to the former CIA and NSA director Mike Hayden, you can actually watch the the interview tomorrow on Hill on Hill.tv. I asked him a question. I said, So Mike, I worked for the CIA. You know, we had we had this a nice exchange before and after the the interview because you know we worked together on some very important stuff. We were on the same team. It was us against, you know, I was obviously an, an underling, but you know, he vaguely I think remembers me. Uh, but we were in the same team against the terrorists. It was America versus the terrorists. It was a good time. And I looked at Mike and I said, you know. Mike, you've been very outspoken. You're Mike Hayden, former CIA, former NSA director. You've been very outspoken about Trump and all of this. And, you know, this is uncharted territory and this is unprecedented for former spy chiefs. And Yeah, he agrees. It's unprecedented. Okay, fine. I said, how is it that we are supposed to believe that with the massive intelligence apparatus that that the U.S. government has at its disposal, which was turned against Trump in the campaign, how is it that we are supposed to believe that this group of what the media will tell us bumbling fools who can't figure out anything, you know, can't work their way out of a paper bag, that they have been able to hide this Russian collusion from us at this point? And Mike knows that, I, you know, Mike and I both know that we have some sense of the capabilities and what we're talking about here, right? Him more, him more so than me at a higher level, but I'm, I'm, I was reading a lot of the same memos and I'm sitting there and, and he says, well, no, Buck, we already have all we really need. Oh, I see now that we won't find it. We're to say that the we're going to find a way of describing the Trump Tower meeting. We're going to find a way of reforming the narrative such that the information that has come up short will now be enough for impeachment. Now that collusion has failed as a concept to prove, they're going to say that the collusion was already proved in the course of that failure of evidence. We just don't know it yet folks this is crazy but this is where they're going 844-900-2825 844-900 buck lines open i'm out tomorrow Uh, michael pelk is in for me so if you want to chat with me today is the day and we will be right back I don't know what's going on. I mean, Hawaii has had a had a tough year. A place that I always think of as, as the closest thing I've probably ever been to to paradise, and they had the, those lava flows with the uh, the volcano. It's just crazy when you see that stuff, and and really destructive. And now they're in the in the path of this hurricane lane, which is supposed to. I'm reading it's going to have thirty inches of rain. All right. Yeah, thoughts and prayers to everybody out there. Two weeks of food they want everyone to have on hand, too. I mean, they're, they're, the Hawaiian Islands rarely get hit with hurricanes. It's about to get absolutely walloped based on what we're seeing here. So let's just hope that everything is... Uh, hope that everyone out there is all right. You know, keep your head down, stay safe, don't take any risks. Um, we have Sandra in Boston on the line. Hey, Sandra. Hi,
5: uh, Buck. Can you hear me okay?
1: Yeah, everybody can. How, what's going on?
5: Well, I... I'm pretty disturbed by this whole business, and I just feel that, um, you know, sure, Michael Cohen is a fixer. He's no nice guy. But what Robert Mueller is doing seems to be fixing on the government level. And, you know, he was uh, the director of the FBI when Hillary Clinton was there, and we had Benghazi with the FBI going in three weeks after the the event. We had... um, I simply don't believe that he didn't know she had a private server. I'm sure he knew. And it seems to me he's covering up a lot of things. And didn't he have some involvement in uh, interviewing the people from Libya, the State Department people, like what Gregory Hicks, I think his name was, they polygraphed them and demoted them and did all kinds of things to keep them silent?
1: Um, You're talking about Brennan now.
5: Well, Brennan was involved and wouldn't
1: the FBI have been involved, too? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm not but I'm not sure if it was uh, if it was Comey or if it was Mueller. You know, I'd have to go back and and check. I mean, look, I think Mueller is um, Mueller is a guy who is an institutionalist. I mean, he he falls in that category of people that I think he thinks he's doing the right thing by uh, protecting. The FBI and the DOJ, and the best way to protect them is to go after their primary antagonist right now, which is Trump. Uh, you know, I, I do think that he's he's lost objectivity here, and that's why he's going. I mean, they're just they're handing it out to the Southern District. I mean, this whole thing, this this uh, this investigation spiraled completely out of control. Sandra, thank you for calling well, in. I appreciate it. uh Team, we've got uh, more coming up, including. I just want to take a moment to address what would happen if they did impeach the president and let's say they manage to either force him to step down or remove him from office. Do the the libs really think that we all just go on and happy and say, yeah, sure, foist a, a President Biden or even a President Hillary on us? We'll get to that. Coming up.
0: He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back.
6: The impeachment not put all these allegations to the appropriate authority
2: i think impeachment would be totally uh, horrible i mean there's no reason he didn't collude with the russians he didn't obstruct justice everything cohen says has been disproved you'd only impeach him for political reasons and the american people would revolt against that
1: the american people would revolt against it that's something to keep in mind here is is that there's no way that you could view any action by the left to remove this president based on the information we have as uh, anything other than essentially a, a political declaration of, of war. I mean, it, it would it would really tear at this country uh, because there's just no there there. I mean, I was telling you before, we had a former uh, U.S. spy chief. I always think it's so interesting. People don't like to use that term spy. Like, we don't have spy agencies. Yeah, yeah we do. We like to call them intelligence agencies. They spy. They are engaged in spying. We, sh- we should not. Every other country, when they think of our CIA, they think of spying. They don't think of, oh, look, intelligence in order to inform the policy community. No, no. Spies. That's what they think of. Uh, but anyway, we had our former spy chief. Uh, and I said I spoke to him today. And trying to change the definition of what would constitute enough of a uh, of an of an egregious act by the president to that we to the stuff we already know, and I can't help but think, okay, if if we're being told now that the Trump Tower meeting is the cause of impeachment efforts or impeachment discussion now, why weren't the, why wasn't it then that the move uh, w- was underway? It's cl- it's political. We we see this. It's obvious. Can't we all just speak to each other like adults and be honest about that? But no, they they would like to continue to to play all kinds of games. By the way, I, I love Trump's thing about you know you can't impeach somebody doing such a good a good job. There's something to that, folks. Uh, th- there is something to the realities of what would happen in this country if they were to push for impeachment against the president who has beaten them at their own game so many times already and done so in ways that have really benefited America. I mean, the country is doing very well right now and they and and the left can't change that they they can't come up with some way to alter that reality they've tried to beat us on the you know to 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 define success in all these different ways so that the president is no longer successful but that's just that's a fool's errand and and we all know this Uh, so they're they're going with the main plan here which is to try to use lawyers and bureaucrats to stop trump and I find that very troubling. By the way, you know, the, the, the whole notion of this as an un, he's an unindicted co-conspirator. He's committed some crime. You know, the Dersh, who got a little terse with me earlier in the week when I asked him about, uh, I asked Alan Dershowitz on my other show, uh, Hill.TV slash Rising, uh, I asked the Dersh about whether, you know, he spoke to the president and, and, and he started telling me, well, he's a Democrat. You know, just so, every, just so everyone's very clear, Dersh is a Democrat, which we all knew. But he's also a guy who still believes in the law, still believes that there is law and that it matters. And here's what he says about the payouts that everyone are. They're already acting like this is a really big deal and it's criminal. Here's what he says. Play clip four. candidate. Trump could have announced I'm funding my own campaign. I'm putting a billion of my dollars
2: into the campaign and I'm paying 100 million of them to women who have accused me falsely, etc. That would not be a violation of any campaign law as long as he reported it. If he if it was if the campaign failed to report it, it would be on the campaign, not on the candidate himself. If he had written a letter. To these two women, saying you're going to help, you're going to hurt me in my campaign. I'm going to pay you $150,000, $130,000 to help me get elected president, and you have to keep it quiet. It's hush money, no crime. I challenge any of those who are saying it's a crime to find me anything in the criminal law that would make it a crime for a president
1: personally or a candidate personally to pay in order to save his own election. So, I mean, what are we really talking about here, folks? What's all this impeachment talk about? Based on what? What do they got? You know, and, you know, Trump spoke about this himself today. Play clip three.
2: Later on, I knew. Later on. Did they come out of the campaign? They didn't come out of the campaign. They came from me, and I tweeted about it. In fact, my first question when I heard about it was, did they come out of the campaign? Because that could be a little dicey, and they didn't come out of the campaign, and that's big.
1: So, you know, we're having all these discussions, all this talk about about the issue, and and it really could be a whole lot of nothing. Uh, the, the have the, the press completely beside themselves with with outrage over this, but but there are, there are no limits to their outrage. I, I would have thought at some point they would get tired. You know, I would have thought at some point they'd feel like, you know we we no longer can can play this game of being upset about everything all the time, but no 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 they they do they they think that there's always more always more room to be self indulgent about their their emotional outbursts about all this stuff uh, and like but I can tell Trump is also losing patience with this uh he feels like you know enough is enough and and he's gone through this process long enough it's that's why he got a little he got a little saucy with my man Jeff today. Producer Mike, you know, we have a soft spot for Jeff, right? I mean, Jeff, Jeff just like comes and hangs out on our show sometimes. He's like one of the, he's like one of the guys, you know, I hear you. Like, yeah. He's like, he's like, Buck, I just want to call it. And, you know, I'm like, Hey, there he is. This is my man. The attorney general hanging out on the Buck Sexton show. I was like, it, you know, he gave me my first, uh, first great interview at, at TV, And, you know, I, so, so I like Jeff. I, I'm not going to, I can't hide that from you. See? I tell you these things, folks, I, I don't pretend that I'm, oh, I'm a totally objective observer. That said, it was a terrible idea for him to rec- <laughs> it was a terrible idea for him to recuse himself. And he's left Trump high and dry on this one. And as much as I like Jeff, I'm like, Jeff, making me upset here a little bit, a little bit. And and Trump obviously gets a little annoyed with them, too, because the problem is, folks, sessions is great on immigration, on the border, You know, he really understands the problem. And he's and he's a very ethical and loyal guy. But I think he's also a little bit of, as I've said before, he's a Boy Scout in a street in a street fight. And Trump is out there, metaphorically speaking, in the street, surrounded by a bunch of deep state Dems who have, you know, got got baseball bats that are coming after him. And Sessions is like, well, I don't believe in violence. And it's like, no, get in there, Sessions. You got to back him up. You got to help him out. So Trump is a little upset about this one. Play 12.
2: The Dems are very strong in the Justice Department. I put an attorney general that never took control of the Justice Department. Jeff Sessions never took control of the Justice Department. And uh, it's a sort of an incredible thing. Jeff Sessions recused himself, which he shouldn't have done or he should have told me. Even my enemies say that Jeff Sessions should have told you that he was going to recuse himself and then you wouldn't have put him in. He took the job, and then he said, "I'm going to
1: recuse myself." I said, "What kind of a man is this?" <laughs> so, so he's, it's rough. It's rough. Jeff Jeff's getting the rough stuff, and uh, you know, and I, I do think in this case it is it is somewhat, it is somewhat deserved, um, because it was a big mistake. I know why Jeff did, he did it for the right reasons. He did it because he thought it was the right thing to do, and he thought it was ethical. But he's left our president in a very in a very tough spot here. Uh, and it's one where I think uh, Trump is increasingly going to just have to say, you know what, enough is enough. And there are two ways that Trump can upend the Democrats efforts here. Uh, the first one is and I, and I cannot get an answer to this question, really. Uh, I want Trump to declassify the rest of the FISA war. I don't believe it would put any lives in danger. I don't believe that. I don't believe it would expose sources and methods. I don't believe it. I just don't believe it. And I'm somebody who has seen a lot of top secret, very sensitive information in my life, and I'm I'm just not. I think that they are, are redacting stuff that, first of all, we probably would already know a lot of it if it wasn't redacted in those FISA requests, because because I think what we'd see is that uh, one the dossier was the basis for the FISA warrant. You know, it was it was it was like seventy percent of it in terms of substance, maybe not in terms of lines of written text, but it was the it was the main. Uh, it, it was it was the critical the sine qua non. You like that, producer Mike? Fancy. That was nice. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, thank you. I do what I can. Sine qua non of um of the entire without which what in Latin. Uh so I think that that's that would come out of it, um, and that's why they they but Trump won't do it. Trump will do it. I also think that if he it were it were to declassify that, we would find out that there were. Before it was even really a full-fledged counterintelligence investigation, there were people at the top levels of the community. I don't know if it would be, you know, I don't know if this is a Brennan CIA thing or if it's an FBI uh, Comey thing, but you know, somebody was was putting putting a source near the Trump campaign, essentially doing a doing a honeypot operation. And we've already with Papadopoulos and the, the the professor, and we've seen some of this stuff. Already we've seen the but I think we'd have them dead to rights on this, that they were essentially trying to honey trap the Trump uh, campaign with. You know, some kind of a Russia story or you know, whatever it was that they were trying to essentially entrap them. So I want Trump to declassify and I don't know why he won't do it or hasn't done it yet. I don't know why, Uh, because it's certainly in his authority. I asked a, a top national security lawyer yesterday really one of the best guys in the business on national security law. And he said, the president absolutely has the authority to do it. By the way, he also has the authority to pull people's clearances, which by the left's all, no, you can't actually, he just did. And he can. Um, so the, the president has that, uh, has that authority. The president could declassify. I would love to see him. I'd love to see him do that. And then the other one is pardons, pardon power. Um, that's, he was asked about pardoning Manafort. You know what, let me, let me, I, I want to hold off on that. Before we get into the pardon issue, uh, let's, let's take a quick beat here. 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. We will talk about some possibly imminent pardons coming up here. Also take any of your calls if you want, uh, to, uh, if I can remember to in the next break before we come into the second hour. And uh, by the way, we have Ann Coulter joining us an hour or two. I've, I've known Ann for many years now. She's great. We are, I'm telling you, we always have a really fun conversation. She's got a new book out. We're going to chat about that. And uh, it's just going to be a great show, folks, because that's how we do it here in the Freedom Hunt. Oh, and don't forget, if you are on Twitter and you are somebody who likes to tweet, follow me at Buck Sexton. Uh, we'll be right back.
3: Are you considering pardoning Paul Manafort? Uh,
2: I have great respect for what he's done in terms of what he's gone through. You know, he worked for Ronald Reagan for years. He worked for Bob Dole. He worked, I guess his firm worked for McCain. He worked for many, many people, many, many years. And I would say what he did, some of the charges Mm -hmm. they threw against him, every consultant, every lobbyist in Washington probably does. Uh, If you look at Hillary Clinton's person, uh, you take a look at the people that work for Hillary Clinton I mean, look at the crimes that Clinton did with the emails and she deletes 33,000 emails after she gets a subpoena from Congress and and this Justice Department does nothing about it and all of the other crimes that they've done. And they don't look at Podesta. Podesta was supposed to be Manafort on steroids. They made him close up his firm. He was going to be indicted the next day. We heard never happened. Mm. Instead, they would go after Manafort.
1: Sounds to me like uh might be getting a pardon. Sounds to me like uh, Manafort uh, is is in line for I do not think Cohen will be getting one. I think that much is clear. But Manafort could... Now, you know, I don't know how this would work, and I, I need to ask a, a pardon expert about this. But I, in my opinion, Manafort should have to pay all the financial restitution. I mean, he shouldn't be pardoned in the sense that You know, he he suffers no consequences for this. I mean, he he is a tax cheat, I think. Uh, That's been proven. It's just a question of, is he being unfairly treated compared to other tax cheats? Um, So we'll see. Dave in Arizona. Welcome, sir. What a great show. Thank you so much.
3: Every time I listen to you... uh, Buck, can you hear me okay? Yes, sir. All right, great. I just got to tell you, every time I listen to you, I'm always you make me think very deeply and that's why i enjoy your show so much and somebody was saying you know that uh, if 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 trump gets impeached it's going to be a revolution they uh, trump was our revolution this is a counter-revolution by the ruling elites the media elites the political elites and the mob against trump he is politically incorrect we were sick of political correctness we were sick of one-party system in essence run by political elites and he are sick of open borders. He's against that, and I, I think he was our revolution. It's going to be interesting to see what happens when the counter-revolution tries to bring him down.
1: Well, that's exactly. I think that's a very apt description of what we're seeing now. It is a, it is a, a counter-revolution of sorts, um, and and I think that that's that's why you, once you ex, once you understand that level of of fervor from the opposition, then I think we can have a much better understanding of what to expect from them. Uh, they are anti-Trump zealots. They view this as, as a calling, uh, my friend Dave, as much as they do any kind of just, you know, political payback. Uh, they think that there's a righteousness in their actions. So we should uh, look, we're going to continue fighting and, and uh, watching this closely. And thank you, sir, for your kind words about the show. It's an honor to have you as part of Team Buck. Julie in Tennessee. Hey, Julie.
3: Hey, how are you doing, Buck? Te- uh, she'll tie.
1: Shields high. What's going on, Julie?
3: Well, you know, I've been trying to get the news out about South Africa for months, actually, uh, probably longer than that. Uh, I have a friend in in South Africa. She lives in Pretoria, mm-hmm. and uh, this has been like a nightmare for her and her family. And it's not just the white farmers, and it's not just the the whites in South Africa. It's also the black uh community who helps the white farmers and those in the white community they're all being targeted by yeah that, that's the, it. have you
1: seen have you seen Mugabe and the white African I mean uh, uh Mugabe and the white African no I have not I would if you get a chance on Netflix or if you can on okay. iTunes or on demand I, I would watch that movie because that's exactly what it shows is that it's much more complicated than just these rich white, farm, you know, landowners, and then right. you know, poor people that need land. There's a lot of, there are a lot of people who are who are Black Africans who live who work and live on these farms too. And by the way, when the farm gets redistributed, it, it, overwhelmingly, there's you know, the, the farm is poorly operated, and there's no produce from it after a while. So that's what ends Absolutely. up happening.
3: Well, yes, and I have been getting uh, messages through Facebook from my friend Rena, and I have been passing this through fa- through Messenger, through Facebook, through Twitter, through social media as much as I can, and uh, th- you know. Well, we're going to talk
1: I- about I- it. I mean, I-, I don't mean to cut you off, Julie, but we we've, we've uh, we're going to be coming into our next hour here, but we are going to talk about it later on in the show. I'll go into some detail about why is South Africa taking property from people because of their skin color because they're white, we'll get into that. Team, do yourself a favor right now. If you're a coffee drinker, if you're like me and you need a cup of coffee to get going with your day, go to blackriflecoffee.com/buck. Okay Black Rifle Coffee is a company founded by True Patriot. These are veterans, in many cases veterans of special operations who want to bring their love of freedom, their incredible sense of patriotism and their sense of humor to also making sure that you are drinking the most delicious coffee you could find anywhere. I bring Black Rifle into my office now for my colleagues, and let me tell you, I'm making converts every day. And some of them are libs, but they love the coffee because it's that delicious. You can go to blackriflecoffee.com buck, and you will be able to get 15% off Freedom Blend coffee rounds, the Black Rifle Coffee Classic Logo T-Shirt, Uh, Freedom Blend coffee in a bag. It's amazing. BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck. This should be the coffee of everybody in the Freedom Hunt
0: buck sexton permission decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence one make. make no mistake America, ready you're a great american again this is the buck sexton show activate former cia analyst former member of the nypd buck sexton it is buck sexton now
1: welcome back to the buck sexton show everybody uh, this hour, we got Ann Coulter joining. it would be a lot of fun to have that conversation about her new book, Resistance is Futile. Because, indeed, the resistance is futile. I think everybody needs to understand that. Everybody should know that quite a bit. But I'm a little troubled right now, my friends. Because I, I worry that uh, because things are going well, we are starting to lose sight of longer-term problems longer term trends that are going to become an issue for us because remember it is when the downturn happens it's when the economy goes bad when things go south when your home all of a sudden is underwater in terms of the where the mortgage is and when your 401k has gotten hit really badly or your company has to restructure your uh, your pension because you know there's investments have gone south and all that stuff right unemployment goes up it's when things go bad that people start to get desperate that people worry and They will fall in line with bad ideas. Um, Remember that President Obama came into office and one of the most telling things said by any of his uh, chief lieutenants, any of the people around him, was actually Rahm Emanuel with, you know, uh, a crisis is, you know, a terrible thing to waste, essentially. A crisis is an opportunity. Now, that's one of the oldest sayings, and I think that goes back to Sun Tzu. I mean, you know, know, crisis is an opportunity. It's been around forever. Um, maybe Sun Tzu didn't say, I don't know. Somebody said it a long time ago. It's been around for a long time. It's obvious. Everybody knows this, right? Because when things are in tremendous flux, that's when you can usually uh, create the most change because you have the least amount of structural impediment to you wanting to reform things, shift things, revolutionize things even. And that's why I, I see this. It's easy to to ignore this. And this is a poll... It's not being ignored. It's on Drudge Report and it's getting a lot of clicks, but I mean ignore the underlying politics of it. It's on thehill.com where I where I work. And it says 70% of Americans, 70%, support Medicare for all in a new poll. Now let's let's just assume for a second that the methodology here of the poll is is sound. I think it is. It's a Reuters Ipsos poll. Eighty five percent of Democrats say they support the policy. That is not surprising, friends. The Democrat Party has turned into the Democrat Socialist Party. It's really just now the. European Socialist Party in America, that's what they are. That's what they believe in. That's who they've become. They are a party that has embraced statism, atheism, uh, redistribution of wealth, wealth. go down the line I, and, and identity politics on top of that, which I will note is not really as much of an issue in Europe as it is here. Uh, meaning that you don't have in each country, I people are going to say, Oh Buck, what about Basque separatists? And you know, I know that there are, and, and then of course the Muslim immigration pop, uh, the Muslim immigrants in Europe and how that affects things. But, you know, we have in America, a much, uh, well, obviously a much larger country than any single country in Europe and also our um Diversity means that identity politics plays a much larger role in our thinking anyway, seventy percent of Americans say Medicare for all is something they want single payer is another name for it uh, and, and those are very already politicized ways of saying government paying for your health care it it means government health care that 's what it is folks you know and when you start thinking about those terms you do you like government cheese probably not you probably won 't like government health care either. What product, which is what medicine ultimately is, right? It is a service. It is a product. What product does the government give you that you like? Well, money, sure. Money comes from somebody else and we're spending too much of it as it is. Uh, Single payer, you would think think it could be good because, oh, it'll be like Medicare where the government's reimbursing doctors. But there's not enough supply for us to have Medicare for all. There's not enough room in the current medical system for that to be the standard. You will have doctors that will say, I'm just not going to take it. It, it, it. it simply will not work. You're going to need a lot more doctors. And that's when regulation comes in, when government mandates come in. And then all of a sudden they'll say, well, this isn't working. You know what? We should just have the government in control of this. The government in control of the hospitals. The government in you know, what the National Health Service in, in the U.K. is. This is troubling. This is not new. I know. We've talked about this. Bernie Sanders pushes all the time. Medicare for all. It's going to be great. They're going to pay for everything. You need a new hip? Somebody else pays for it. Uncle Sam gives you a new hip. Uh, But the other side of this that I find troubling is that this poll says that 52% of Republicans, 52% of Republicans are in fact going to be uh, or are or, or in favor of Medicare for all. Who are these Republicans? And what the heck are they thinking? These must be Jeff Flake Republicans. I, I, don't, I don't know who these people are. Do they not know that trillions and trillions of dollars would have to be spent on this? Do they not know that the government, whenever it gets involved in the production of a good or service, does a terrible job as compared to the private sector? Why would they think this is okay? But here's why I started off by saying I think that because things are going so well in the country right now, because Trump is actually in charge and the economy is booming. Now it's easy for those of us who understand why that's happening to ignore this rise in socialist sentiment, which is what's really going on. And it's easy for us to forget that the other side is just waiting for the opportune moment to strike. Maybe in some cases, literally, as in go on strike. But in this instance... They're looking for a, that, that moment of downturn. They're looking for that crisis to exploit and say, now is the time. And, and they are growing support for this uh, in, in ways that we should all be troubled by. More numbers here to give some context and clarity to this. According to CNS News, 52% of kids right now are, getting, are, are in households that are getting uh, some form of means-tested welfare means-tested government assistance. Half of kids are in homes that are getting uh, benefits from a means-tested government program, which means either supplemental nutritional assistance, Medicaid, public housing, su- supplemental uh, security income, uh, temporary assistance for needy families, and the national school lunch program. Half, folks. I mean, they, we, have a, we have an expansive welfare state already. And we have this idea that the government should pay for everyone's health care, which is catching on. And right now, because the economy is booming and because we have a capitalist in the White House who is unabashedly pro pro business, pro individual ingenuity and, and growth. It feels like eh, we, we don't need to worry about these kooky socialists all that much right now. You know, the, the Bernie Sanders of the Democrat Party, the ocasio Cortezes. Yeah, like, I just like socialism because it's like all this stuff gets paid for for free. Like, all of those people, I think right now we we push them aside and think, well, they, they're they not, they are unserious as people and their ideas are unserious. But remember that the uh, the ground can shift very quickly under our feet with these issues. And it would not be difficult to foresee a future where if there were a major market downturn, uh, if all of a sudden people felt the sting of the spending that has been going on at the government level for decades, now remember we're over twenty trillion dollars in debt. Nobody even knows what, what that's gonna, how we're gonna get out of this, what we're gonna do with this. I mean, this is this is a disaster. It's just a slowly unfolding disaster. And if if just by sheer, you know, bad luck. Trump has to deal with a major recession, you're going to see a lot of people because they're going to see their savings decline. They're going to see their you know loss of jobs and everything. That's when I think the left all of a sudden starts marching in the streets and taking all that anger at Trump and putting it behind a straight-up socialist candidate under the Democratic Party. I mean, a, a a Bernie Sanders plus, if you will, somebody that's even more adamantly in favor of Soaking the rich redistribution of wealth, massive government regulation, massive government mandated redistribution of wealth. Remember, it was only because of Obama that we, were, we have Trump. Trump was a in many ways a corrective to the excesses of Obama's ideology of Obamaism. But now Trump is pulling pretty far in the other direction, which is great, great for the economy. And I'm obviously a big fan of it. But the left is already. At a level of shrill outrage that's hard to fathom and understand if they actually get a an opening politically to inflict their ideas on the rest of us. They will take it and it's very troubling that 70 percent of people right now according to this hill dot com poll believe in Medicare for all. They obviously don't realize what it would cost in every sense cost in terms of the expenses but also the cost to their care, meaning how much crappier their, their care would get than it is right now, and that 50% of Republicans are on board for this. I mean, are we, are we all just kind of, you know, sitting around proverbially fat and happy and not really paying attention? I mean, what's going on here, folks, on the right? You know, what what is the mindset that we would see that this massive expansion of the continued expansion of the welfare state, continued expansion of our debt, and on top of that, now this idea, uh, I mean, by the way, Medi- Medicare for all is that's the camel's nose in the tent to democratic socialism across the board, which is just a nice way of saying European-style socialism light, uh, European style socialism. This should be troubling to us. And and it's something that the the Trump administration, I, I believe, needs to put a, a greater focus on combating. I want to talk to you about the uh, Molly Tibbetts case coming up here in a moment. I've got some updates and some thoughts on immigration and where the Democrats are on this, and, and then we will have uh, the, the irreplaceable, the irrefutable Ann Coulter. Well, I guess some people refute her, but uh, she'll be joining us here in just a few minutes. That'll be a great conversation. Be sure to stay with us for that, and you can also send me your thoughts at facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. We'll be right back. The FBI says that home title theft is one of the fastest growing crimes. Brace yourselves, because having your credit card stolen is nothing compared to the hell you're in for once an identity thief takes control of your home's title. Folks, you might be thinking, how could they get to my title? Well, guess what? Your home's title is stored online. The information that the bad guys need to get about you so that they can create a fake version of your title and then take out loans against that title, basically stealing a whole bunch of money and leaving you with the payments, it's all online. It's not hard for them to get. I have seen Home Title Lock walk me through exactly what will be needed for the bad guys to do this and let me tell you it's far too easy for them and you got to make sure you know that identity theft programs don't protect you but for just pennies a day home title lock protects my most viable asset my family's home register now for a free analysis and discover if your home's title has been compromised that's a 60 value free visit home title that's home title lock.com
2: molly is this beautiful young girl she was killed by a horrible person that came in from mexico illegally here i just think it's so sad we're building the wall it's already started we're doing a record-breaking job but we have bad laws you know when you have bad laws you can do good but you can do a lot better if you had good laws so they'll all get changed but we have to elect more republicans
1: every sheriff in america is a border sheriff and they will tell you that and when criminal aliens brought here by cartels Remember, you don't cross the border without the cartels allowing you to cross. Come to the heartland of America and grab this poor girl and take the life out of her. A town of fourteen hundred people. America better wake up. So I'm going to need someone to explain to me how this isn't a a situation in which there is there's obvious hypocrisy. Right. When there is a shooting. The mainstream media. And the left in general, the political left in this country will immediately, and you don't have to take my word for it, Google's, you'll see it. They will immediately try to blame not just guns, but in fact, the NRA, they will do this, even though every time they have done it that I'm aware of, which is likely the case that I'm correct. Uh, Every time that I'm aware of, it has never actually been an NRA member involved in a mass shooting. I am not aware of that ever having happened. And yet when there's a mass shooting, people will immediately say the NRA is a terrorist organization. It is the NRA. And and then here's the real kicker. Here's the real uh, emotional, psychological blackmail they try. They say if it will save just one life, if it will save just one life, then the NRA should be in favor of abolishing, uh, you know, handguns. So then the NRA should be in favor of a massive gun buyback program. Then the NRA, you know, whatever it may be, they can just fill in the blank with their desired uh, policy, right? The grab bag of whatever policies that they want. But if, if it can save just one life, they say, we must do it. Or else you are complicit. Or else, to borrow from David Hogg, who we can't I can't decide if, if he is a victim that no one is allowed to criticize or if he is if, if he's like the future of the Democratic Party. I mean, he's he said some stuff, by the way, that is astonishing earlier this week in an interview. Um, I, I've got to I, have I, got to see this. David Hogg said in an interview that he wants a, a an age limit, uh, age limit for politicians "Quote: Older Democrats won't just move the move the F off the plate. Um, I want to be part of the change in Congress," he said. And what is he? He he goes on to say things. That, uh, there's one crazy quote I'm trying to find here. I mean, there's a lot of crazy quotes. Anyway, that guy Hogg, w- w- would would run around saying that the NRA has blood on its hands. That's what he would say. Uh, he he is. By the way, he's going to be an activist. You're going to see him very, very involved next year. He's taking a year in between going to high school and college. And the left treats him like he's a combination of of celebrity and policy deity. I mean, it's crazy. But this storyline that we keep hearing is, or or, or rather this, this construct that we keep coming up against, if it can save just one life. And on immigration, it's very clear that it would be if we could save a lot of lives. There are a lot of people who are killed by illegal illegal aliens in this country year in and year out, whether in car accidents, in violent acts by gangs like MS thirteen, or in random random acts of violence by illegal aliens like this uh this suspect out in, in Iowa that killed Molly uh, Molly Tibbetts. There are lives at stake. And the the state has laws on the books that if it enforced, those lives would not be lost. So I, I do need somebody to try and explain to me how it's how it's unfair to apply the same logic that the Democrats do when it comes to guns with far less of a justification and connection between these issues. Why can't we apply that logic to immigration and, and illegal aliens? Uh, I, I saw today a, a something tweeted out from S, uh, Simone Sanders, whom I'm familiar with from her work on CNN on Jake Tapper show in particular, where she is treated as as a revered and astute political analyst. Uh, Of course, because Tapper only has the most serious people on his show. Um, He takes himself very seriously. Simone Sanders, though, tweeted this out about this. She's a Democrat, obviously. Um, She sits on Jake Tapper's panel. So what else do you have to know? She wrote, Molly Tibbetts was murdered because she told a man to leave her alone while she was jogging. Her murderer happens to be undocumented. This isn't about border security. This is about toxic masculinity. Molly Tibbetts lost her life because a man couldn't take her saying no, full stop. No, it is not full stop, Simone Sanders. That is not accurate. That is not true. That is not what happened here in terms of the overall policy takeaway. All right, she, uh, first of all, Simone Sanders doesn't even know what happened here. She doesn't, she's describing the incident. It's not even known what really went on. And the fact that you use the term undocumented, that is such a that is such a tell, folks. Anyone who uses this term undocumented is immediately letting you letting everybody know right away that they are opposed to rule of law. They're opposed to enforcing immigration law. They view their primary mission when it comes to immigration as uh, promoting amnesty and promoting as much as much as is possible uh, Getting as many people from the third world into America as they can, because they will vote Democrat. All you have to do is say undocumented. It's like talking about climate change. Undocumented for immigration is now like climate change when talking about the environment. It's a single word or phrase that symbolizes an entire, uh, entire ideological framework that comes with it, and it's also a form of signaling to you know to your side, to your base, in this case the to the left, that you're on the team.
0: He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops.
3: What grade do you give yourself so far?
2: So I give myself an A+. plus. I don't think any president has ever done <laughs> what I've done in this short. We haven't even been two years. Biggest tax cuts in history. Soon to be two unbelievable Supreme Court justices. I'm sure that... Justice Kavanaugh will be approved. Justice Gorsuch has been a star. Um, You look at all of the things we've done with regulations. The economy is the best it's ever been in history. The only thing I'm I'm doing badly in is the press doesn't cover me fairly. I thought after I won, you know, they killed me during the campaign, just killed me. I said, well, one good thing about winning, I've showed them. So now I'm going to get fair press. Guess
1: what? It got worse. It's worse. The President of the United States there, folks, giving himself an A-plus so far, perhaps no surprises, but also saying the press is unfair. We have a particular expert in both of these matters joining us now, in all things Trump and media, Ann Coulter, the one and only she is with us. Her book, which is just out this week, Resistance is Futile, How the Trump-Hating Left Lost Its Collective Mind. I have my copy on the nightstand here, and thank you so much for calling in.
4: Absolutely, and thank you for playing that clip. Also, as you know, I, um, whenever I think about the absence of a wall, I want to strangle him. I, I hear an interview like that, and I remember why I love him again.
1: There's so there is so <laughs> much about him that is
4: an A plus.
1: <laughs> Yeah, there's, there's so much about him that it, that is fantastic. Let's let's start with the resistance, and and then and then, so we'll kind of go in reverse order here from what Trump said because your book is about. How the left is crazy I go on air I've actually had uh, psychiatrists who are listening to the show call in and they like the way I describe this as as a mass delusion uh, that the press yeah. actually is having some kind of collective psychotic episode you clearly agree tell us why
4: yes I, you'll get a lot of detail on that in in my book because I mean we with, with a psychotic or a, a mass delusion Now, sometimes even, you know, you need medicine to overcome it, but you always feel like, well, all you have to do is point out, um, you know, no, there is no spaceship there. Or how about we go look at the spaceship? They don't allow the people um, to come on their air (laughs) to say, here, yeah, you can cut me. I bleed. I'm not an alien. So so it just gets crazier and crazier. I mean, some of, I have some liberal journalists who are my friends, um, not a lot, but I see even them on the likes of MSNBC and CNN. And, and you know, I want to talk to them afterwards and say, yes, but you're you're missing, you know, X, Y, Z. But they don't want to hear it. The networks don't want to hear it. There will be no sane people on the networks because it's a buzzkill for the viewers.
1: And, you know, it it goes even beyond the the press. I mean, when you talk about the resistance, I know you focus on on the media in in the book, as, as well as other things, the Hillary narrative around Russia collusion, how all that gets started. But from within the the deep state side of things, I keep telling people who will will listen to me because I've spoken to Clapper and Hayden and I and I worked for some of these guys, the intelligence community. I think what gets lost here is that the kind of elite ruling class from within the upper echelons of government, not even necessarily elected government, just government in general. They see Trump and the people around him, as you've put it, as as icky, but also as interlopers like they're just not supposed to be there. Oh yes, I
4: I think there was one guy, ex guy from the CIA. It may have been Malcolm Nance, maybe somebody else. Just you know, like matter of factly saying, "Oh no, the deep state. This they will not stand for this. They'll take this guy out." And as for the the ones you mentioned, um, James Clapper, who who perjured himself, lied under oath, as he later admitted, um, in saying that that the government doesn't collect massive information on millions of Americans. Um, he later called that the least erroneous answer he could give. Um, Brennan, of course, lied about the most, the most celebrated military operation in world history—the capture of Osama bin Laden. He just went out on TV and started talking about how, oh yeah, Osama was shooting back, and he used his wife, the human shield. And then, you know, poor Jay Carney has to go and correct the record the next day. But most famously, when he was head, when when Brennan was head of the CIA, he spied. Uh, on the Senate Democrats, no less. Um, Dianne Feinstein's co- uh, committee was, was investigating corruption at the CIA, accused the CIA of, of hacking into their computers, the, Senate, the computers being used by the Senate investigators. Clapper absolutely denied it up and down, just said, oh, it's just beyond the bounds of reason um, we'll see. We'll see. The truth will come out. No, no, this isn't going. And then the IG report comes out and yep, they were hacking into the Senate computers. So, and then of course, Comey came out with his second statement on, on Hillary's behavior. These, all three of these men who are the men behind the 17 intelligence agencies saying that, um, um, Russia hacked the DNC and did it to help Trump. These three men, The left wanted to boil in oil and feed to the dogs. So how did they become become honorable again, there's a very clear path to honor in America, uh, and that is start accusing the president of being a lunatic, guilty of treason, who kills kittens and nails them to church doors. And suddenly, and I have the quotes along with the networks where they were called these things, suddenly they're they're, they're honorable, um, well-respected. No one can contest anything. This person says, wow, that's not what you guys were saying a year ago.
1: Yeah, literally worse than Hitler, as you say in, in the book. That's that's all you have to do. Say Trump is literally worse than Hitler, and and then all of a sudden your speaking fees go up, uh, your your book, uh, your book advance would go up, even for books that I think some of these guys are going to write or have written for them that no one's going to read. So there's obviously a pathway. By the way, we're speaking to uh, Ann Coulter, author of Resistance Is Futile. It's out now. I have it. I'm reading it. You all should too. Uh, you know, Ann, I think that there's there, we need to come up with a cool, and you're the perfect person for this. A cool description of the mathematical equation that we, that we could describe that with greater success on the economy and, by the way, a whole bunch of other issues, including foreign policy, which they pretend isn't happening, but it is. But with greater economic success in the Trump presidency, they actually get angrier at him, right? It, it's it's <laughs> the inverse of what you would expect. Well,
4: it's the inverse of what you'd expect on a lot of things. One of the things I loved about the Mur- miracle Trump campaign was he, he wasn't a lifelong or or, or rather a down the line republican i think he was a lifelong republican in fact but he wasn't just your standard cookie cutter republican as as the never trumpers never tired of, of reminding us. um, He's not a real Republican. And, you know, people like me said, great, fantastic, thanks for reminding me. Another reason to vote for him. There are a lot of the things he was saying and pushing are are things that Democrats used used to believe in. How about helping the working class? How about helping the middle class? But no... They don't care. Then I think we could get uh, they could simultaneously be saying, um, I'm literally shaking because he's literally Hitler. We could get the left to endorse Hitler uh, just by telling them Trump is against Hitler.
1: (laughs) I think I think their their opposition to all things. Trump does extend to a place where, you know, now I'm being told even when he does good, when he when something good happens in his administration. and, And this is where the foreign policy part comes in. It's in spite of him. But anything bad that happens is because of him. I keep pointing out to my friends. Do you guys realize how self-justifying that is for your insane Trump hatred? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I had the former I had the former a guy on my I got my show. who said I was the, he said he was the NSC director or something for uh, Russia or, or for, for Ukraine. And I said, so so we're selling these missiles and stuff to the Ukrainians to beat up the Russians. Now, Obama wouldn't do that. And he goes, yeah, but that's happening in spite of Trump. And I said, Trump is the commander in chief. What do you think is happening in spite of Trump? Uh,
4: yes, no, that is a beautiful description. Though you are going to disagree with my penultimate chapter. Um, I really liked the Trump campaign, and I would like to get along with Russia. Um, and and unfortunately, these Republicans. I mean, they are giving in. Not only the ones who are who are completely have gone hog wild attacking Trump to get their air time, um, but they're giving into this idea that Trump has to just redouble his his attacks on Russia. Um, which I, I I don't disagree with Obama's approach to to Russia, and I think a lot of Americans didn't. Um, what, among the promises, I mean, I think the three the three pillars of the Trump campaign were. Um, um you know crap immigration policy should be to benefit the people who already live here trade policy should bring back manufacturing and end job killing trade deals that helps wall street a lot but really doesn't help our own manufacturing base and third definitely no more pointless wars and maybe pull back from all of our um you know policemen of the world stuff and he really hasn't done any of those things what what keeps the base loving him including including me is our response to the ridiculous, out, outrageous, hypocritical, lying attacks of the resistance. So really, the resistance ought to read my book and learn how to do it right.
1: <laughs> there you go. Ann does not give him an A+, plus, folks, but she does take the resistance to task. Check it out. Resistance is futile. How the Trump-hating, or rather, how the Trump-hating left lost its collective mind. The one and only Ann Coulter. Anne, thank you so much. Good luck on the tour.
4: Thank you. Let's talk again after you read it. I think that'll be fun.
1: Uh, absolutely love to have you back i am going to read it i'll talk to you soon okay team we'll be right back
5: it really is a moral issue if you believe as i do that this is god's creation we have to be good stewards of it so in any case uh, this what was a big thing for us. And we had to fight some Democrats. Senator Byrd had a coal-powered plant of uh, fueling the capital. I, I, that's, I was now speaker that that's going to go, you know, <laughs> yeah. with all to respect to West Virginia, uh, you know, we're not going to have a coal-powered plant. But...
1: This thing about coal, by the way, has really turned into a, a well, it's, it's obviously been influenced by virtue signaling for quite a while but they've managed to turn coal and West Virginia coal and all this in, into some kind of a, a proxy for other things now. You know, the, the truth is that we are moving away. We are decarbonizing with our energy sources naturally because of greater efficiency. And it's happening as a, as a function of the market and as a function of science and technology. You know, I, I was watching uh. The show Silicon Valley, which I think is one of the best. If you haven't seen it, I really, really do recommend it. I think it's one of the best original comedies out there right now. It's a little, you know, it's a little raunchy and, you know, it's HBO. So there's some it's not for kids, but it's a it's a really good show. And there's they have one of these guys who's a kind of nerdy, nerdy. Well, they're all nerdy tech guys, but he's a particularly socially awkward guy. And he tells a story about how in London in the 18, I think, it was, I guess it was the 1890s. I think he says they were worried because of all the manure and the manure was was just becoming a big problem because you had all these horse drawn carts in the city. And given the population density and the increasing population density, uh, they were it was overwhelming the city's ability to to take the manure out of the city. Right So literally they were worried about drowning in in well not literally, but they, they were concerned of, people overuse that literally thing so much, and I, I it happens to me too because you hear people doing it, and then it finds its way into your speech. people were worried about too much too much horse poop uh, and they estimated and he tells this whole story you know they estimated that you know within thirty years there would be you know nine feet of horse poop at any given time piled up on the streets of London, right this is a classic Uh, Malthusian fallacy, really, right? uh, Malthus, uh, Thomas Malthus, was this uh, political theorist and economist who believed that we were going to run out of food, right? Because population growth is happening at X rate and we produce food at Y rate. And didn't ever think, well, hold on a second. What what, what if we get way, way better at Y? What if we can make food a lot faster, better, cheaper, more efficiently, and uh, in a way that is much more reliable, right if, if we change our ability to make food doesn't that change our ability to feed people such that we don't have to be so very very concerned about know, yeah, people starving to death because of overpopulation that was a big thing but the Malthusian time bomb thesis is, is wrong and the horse poop or horse manure thesis of London at the time and now by the way he could be making this up in terms of that story but it it It's it's a version of other stories you could you could hear um, or that we've seen in the history, which is that science moves in such a way that the predictions of today are often wrong, especially when it comes to, oh, we're going to run out of oil. Oh, we're going to run out of food. Oh, we're going to overheat because of uh, global warming. Right. They keep they're, they're wrong on these things. But with Pelosi and the others on coal in particular now, people who don't know anything about coal just know that they should be opposed to it. That that's what you see. That's the transition. That's the change point here. Uh, is that if you want to be considered smart and and trendy and cool, you have to be somebody who is very opposed to coal. Uh, and and also this is this is an, an issue that is getting much more attention because it's part of the Obama legacy, and that's what really upsets the left, right? Because they 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 thought Obama was this great president and he did all these amazing things. But now what they're seeing is no, he just he just did things that didn't require leadership. They just required a, a decision from him. It was on Obama's whim, right? To to push for environmental policies only as a function of the executive branch is short-sighted. And people said that at the time. They said, you know, just wait. And and you know what it really is? It's a reminder to the left. It's a reminder that. Obama's approach was the result of being unable to uh, work in any in any really bipartisan fashion. And a reminder that Hillary Clinton is not the president. They were much more comfortable with especially in Obama's second term. They were much more comfortable, I think, with some of these Obama era decisions on the environment and others, because the assumption, the baked in assumption was, well, we've got Hillary waiting in the wings. You have to remember everyone, everyone on the left, the Democrats, they assumed that Hillary was just going to take over for Obama she was going to be a continuation of the Obama era policies. So by by changing these coal regulations, because, again, how much is this really uh, going to affect? Well, first of all, it's about carbon dioxide, which is crazy. It's not a pollutant. And they, um, uh, you know, they they shouldn't be penalized the way they were by the Obama era. Um, And it's about carbon dioxide limits, which means that coal power plants will become more it will become uh, more cost effective now. And it will allow upgrades to older power plants without triggering this new requirement to install these crazy controls. Right. So this is it's just going to mean it's just going to be better. Um, You know, it, it means that they're able to. Produce energy, electricity at a at a rate that it makes them competitive. Uh, so you know this is this is what I what what you're seeing here is just it's a lot of politics wrapped into this issue. When you start to dig into the issue, um, you see that this is much ado about nothing from the left, except that this touches on some very sensitive areas for them. I mean, the mo- most notable one is that this is Obama legacy stuff, and oh, if Hillary were president this wouldn't be happening. And that really, really upsets them. Got a big hour three coming up, Jim. We're going to talk about South Africa, what's going on there. So uh, stay with me. Buck Sexton.
0: Permission. Decoding the news. And disseminating information. With actionable intelligence. One
2: small thing. Make no mistake. America. Ready. Great. You're a great
0: American again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now
2: not enough focus has been put on china and that's been for a long time and we want to have big focus is on russia not enough focus is on china And there's a 25 percent tax on that now coming in and i think that economically also helps us this is very different but it also helps us and people are saying that's already having a big effect and it is already we're collecting that money it's a lot of money much of it is being collected some of it starts in a week But uh, it's a tremendous amount of money coming into the coffers of the United States, which nobody has ever seen that before.
1: Who does he sound like there, folks? Not enough focus on China, too much focus on Russia. I mean, I I can neither confirm nor deny does the president ever listen to the show. The truth is, I have no idea. Buck, you're a smart guy. Well, I thank you. Uh, But, you know, it's it's just I'm just saying a little bit ahead of this one. I'm pretty sure that you were hearing that. Weeks, weeks ago on the Buck Sexton show that the focus on uh, on Russia over China had just become had become crazy. Uh, The focus on Russia over China had gotten to the point where it was it it would be uh, bizarre, I think, to continue on as is without some some serious uh, some serious pushback. Um, But, you know, I want to tackle this issue of of meddling, if I can, in the in the election, because here's what I see going on. Uh, Actually, let's hear what Ambassador Bolton spoke about this today. Uh, Play clip nine, please.
0: We weren't able to reach agreement on that, so we decided to go ahead. We'll each speak individually, which is what I'm doing now. But on the whole, I would say we made considerable progress. I made it clear that we wouldn't tolerate meddling in 2018 uh, and that we were prepared to take uh, necessary steps to prevent it from happening.
1: So we're going to stop people from meddling. That's what, that's what the, uh, you know, the National Security Advisor is saying. Um, I don't know how we can. I don't know how we can. Uh, and, and I think that th- you're seeing this little game of, of kind of footsie with the media where they talk about the meddling, but they don't want to talk about it too much. Which given how, how absolutely petrified they have been about the prospect of meddling in our sacred elections once again. Oh, my gosh. Good heavens. Don't you think that they would be raising the alarms much more now? In fact, National Security Advisor uh, John Bolton said recently that, uh, this was actually last week, I think, that Russia is only one of four countries that he is concerned about meddling in our election. China, North Korea, and Iran. Um, They're taking steps against those four countries, at least could be meddling. You see what's happened here, folks, is that not only have the Democrats hyperventilated about election meddling for very explicit political purposes, right? Because Hillary, hello, lost the election. What happened? And now they've been saying this for a while because it's to their political benefit. But it also means that other countries, are paying attention and saying, "Oh, you mean if we just create some Facebook accounts and and do a little bit of very basic, you know, political research on Amer on American, you know, debates right now in the uh, election sphere, we could mess them up and get them all to turn on each other and get their entire media apparatus to go insane?" Well, that seems easy enough. I mean, North Korea. We North Korea is a very advanced cyber threat, uh, and and that's important to remember. That also does not care if it gets caught. It doesn't care what they don't care what they do. You know, this was true back in the day also of of the KGB. It's, it's an interesting uh, reality of uh, statist intelligence services and, and espionage and the way the security apparatus works in places like the former Soviet Union. Yes, they were effective, but they were effective because they had no constraints and they didn't have to worry about getting caught. You know, it's a very different thing. You know, he, here's the the, the American version of, of you know, uh, surveillance, right? If the FBI is doing surveillance on somebody, it's they want to stay low profile. They don't want to they don't want to get made. They don't want them to figure out what's going on. And if they do, that they'll they'll drop the tail. You know, if you watch movies, you pick up all this stuff. The KGB version of surveillance is like, you know, in the past, not always, but often would be, you know, a couple of guys in a car dragging behind the target and if the target lost them they'd go find him at his house and beat the crap out of him don't don't let us lose you again kind of a thing i mean it's a very different approach and with north korea uh on hacking they don't care what we say so we catch them we don't catch them it doesn't really matter to them but these countries are all possible meddlers in our in our election process but as i've been telling you all along the chances of that being effective are, are almost non-existent Unless they can actually hack into the systems and change votes, everything else is really noise, right? We can't stop countries from putting propaganda on the Internet. We can't stop countries from setting up fake Facebook accounts and and doing fake news. That's insane. I mean, think about what that would require. Uh, But this is, again, the whole problem has been magnified by the media. And now they've created this monster, this 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 perception Of, oh my gosh, there's going to be meddling and and the meddling is going to be this really big deal and it's going to mess up our election. But the truth is, my friends, uh, that they don't know how much to make of it right now because what if the Democrats win the House back in the midterms? I want to make a prediction right now. If the Democrats win the midterms in the House, I don't think they're going to win the Senate, but if they win the midterms in the House, uh, you... Yeah, no, there's going to be it's going to move to impeachment. And that's an obvious prediction. And we all know that. But you'll hear very little about election meddling. And, you know, this is this is a similar game that the media has played with the problem of homelessness, right? Homelessness has existed in the country. Well, probably for as long as there's been a country. But, you know, in the depending on the administration, whether it was a Republican, and there have been studies that have shown this, right? You know, there when Bush is in office. There are these stories about national level homelessness and now it's on the rise. And when there's a Democrat in office, the homelessness problem goes away. I think actually Bernie Goldberg in his book, Bias, I believe, or maybe an Ann Coulter book. Uh, but I think it was Bernie Goldberg and Bias talks about this, that all of a sudden new, new Republican administration stories about homelessness, stories about the poor and how no one's helping them. Democrat administration, all oh, the homelessness problem just kind of fades away. I think you're going to see election meddling in kind of a similar way. That now that they've created this concept, there's this narrative that a bunch of, you know, highly skilled, uh, you know, Russian hackers or or even hackers from other countries can. They don't even have to be hackers. They just have to be, you know, cyber influencers, really. But but that they can affect our elections in this negative way. Uh, When the Democrats lose an election, this will be a story. They won't say that the election, you know, they won't say outright that the election was a fraud, although I think they will say that if Trump wins re-election, I think they're gearing up for if if Trump wins in 2020, which I think he is, they are going to reject the there's going to be a, a Democrat movement to reject the result as in to, to suggest that it, it is it is not just that Trump is illegitimate because of stuff in the past, but that the election itself is illegitimate. I, I think they're willing to go to that extent because they hate Trump so much and they're so crazy when it comes to all issues related to Trump but just just pay attention to this in the midterms now. You'll see stories about election meddling, but not that they're going to they're going to make it so that they can say they covered it and they have the option depending on what happens on election day of either saying, "Oh my gosh, look at this stuff we've discovered right after." If they lose, election meddling will be a big story, a big problem after the I'm telling you. They're shameless. If they win, the House that election meddling will be you know america stopped it this time around maybe they won't win trump's up for re-election but this time around it was okay that's what i mean by these people have no principles you can you can take each issue and look at it and understand where their hypocrisy comes into play and where their lack of, of scruples is glaring and uh, and obvious Strike Force Energy, veteran-owned, American-made, one of the hottest new energy products on the market. Look, Strike Force was developed by a Navy SEAL who wanted to make sure that he had a product on the market that was all the best stuff in the most straightforward, easy packaging possible, okay? What you do with Strike Force is you add the liquid to some water, tea, lemonade, you can put it in a beer, whatever you want, and it gives you that little extra boost to get your day started, push you through the afternoon, get your workout fired up and ready to go, or just make sure you got the energy to take care of business, whatever that may be, all right? You need to check out Strikeforce for yourself. Go to StrikeforceEnergy.com, enter discount code Buck Team. Make sure they know you heard about them here on this show because every time you type in discount code BUCK, everything you buy, they will match it and send it to troops overseas. StrikeforceEnergy.com, discount code B-U-C-K at checkout. That's StrikeforceEnergy.com, discount code Buck. Try it, you'll love it.
6: Well, the first thing that needs to be made clear is to to denounce the policy. Uh, The administration needs to make it very clear that it is both immoral, because it targets a specific group of people, and I thought we were beyond that. And secondly, that it would be economically destructive. So we need to make it very clear where we stand. Secondly, uh, South African government needs to be aware that the law, the uh, African Growth and Opportunity Act, under which South Africa trades with the United States requires the President of the United States to expel countries from AGOA that do not respect property rights and due process. So South African government needs to be aware that if it changes the constitution and legalizes what is essentially theft of private property, it will be kicked out of AGOA and uh, further negative economic consequences will ensue.
1: South Africa is in the news, folks, because of a policy that is uh Both wrong and stupid, I think, or self-defeating, maybe a better way of saying it, or or both. Now, let's let's just first get to it. Why why is this getting attention? Well, well, because there's been a change in South African policy. They've done something they haven't done before, uh, which I will get to. But really, it's because President Trump uh, tweeted out the following. I have asked Secretary of State uh, Pompeo to closely study the South Africa land and farm seizures and expropriations. And the large scale killing of farmers, the South South African government, quote, is now seizing land from white farmers uh, at Tucker Carlson on uh, on Trump's Twitter account. Um, now, here's what here's what's happened. Um, South Africa, as you know, history of apartheid um, that that ended Mandela, African National Congress. You know, I'm, I'm skipping through a lot of history there, but you know, there was a, a racial Uh, a a racist policy of, of apartheid and then it ended uh through the efforts of mandela and the anc and now they have had a policy in place for a while of willing buyer willing seller where the government uh tries to find you know the government will try to buy land from the the uh willing seller willing buyer they call it yeah uh, where they try to buy white-owned land and give it to the disenfranchised black population since apartheid ended in 1994. And what happened recently, the, the big change in this, is that you have had the first large piece of land uh, for which the government said, this is the price and this is what you're taking and here's the date and you have to leave. And this is a white farmer and it's a game preserve, actually, and they want to redistribute this land to black Africans. So this is an explicitly racial policy, right? This is uh, based on the skin color of the owner and based on the skin color of those who would be receiving the land. The government is making decisions. The, The big difference here, what really set off alarms for people is that the owner of this land is claiming that the land seized is worth about 10 times as much as what the government paid for it. So once the government is forced, first of all, forcing a sale, and then on top of it, dramatically underpaying for those assets, it feels a lot more like mafia activity than what a democracy, uh, what a, an elected and representative government would do. Uh, and this is also where people will point to what's happened in neighboring Zimbabwe, uh, right, the formerly... Uh, the colony known as Rhodesia. And in Zimbabwe, they had a similar situation, but in the 1980s, they started to redistribute the land uh, from the wealthier white landowners to uh, what were supposed to be black farmers, but really it turned into a spoil system for people with connections to the, uh, the party that was in power um so that was and people that were connected to Mugabe and there were some terrible violence and, and terrible things that happened in uh in Zimbabwe, well leading up to Zimbabwe it previously had been Southern Rhodesia uh so there was a lot of of bad blood already in the country between uh the different racial and ethnic groups but Zimbabwe's land reform led, led including its terrible government and Mugabe was a is a thug and a dictator a uh, very bad guy uh, led to the country going from being the breadbasket of Southern Africa, really the the in many ways the the richest arable land uh, in Southern Africa, to being unable to feed itself, and being a a horrifically uh, impoverished country when it should have been actually a reasonably well off country for what it was. Um, so, in, and there is a movie that I, I think I've recommended before in the show. Mugabe and the white African um, that I would highly highly recommend you it's a documentary where these documentary filmmakers stay on a, they stay with a white family in Zimbabwe, one of the sort of last at least in the area and I don't know how many you know are left in the country, but it's in the dwindling minority of white landowners and and the intimidation they go through, and you know you, you see the full scale and scope of the story you have all these. Farm workers, these black families who live with this white family, and they are very much in favor of this white family keeping the land because they work the land and they live there and they're happy and they're fed and they get paid and they're taken care of. And, you know, they're all working together. Uh, but this this politically connected thug shows up, and he's truly a thug, and he keeps saying, you know, this land is now ours, you better leave. And, and it turns to violence, and they start beating people in front of their family members and, and uh, terrifying them, and they finally have to leave. And the government is complicit in all this. So imagine that, right? It's not even like this is happening and you report it. If you report it, they're saying, well, sorry, you know, this is what happens because you're not welcome here. So there is, you know, what we would call reverse racism going on, uh, but in fact, it's actually just racism. Uh, In the case of Zimbabwe, where the uh, minority is, in fact, white people. And in South Africa now, there's been a more radical turn. And there have been white farm owners who have been killed, although it's in the dozens. uh, It's not a it's not a large number. I mean, Trump, I think, said large number in the tweet. I'm just I'm trying to stay with, as always, trying to stay with all the facts. Forty seven farmers killed. Well, no, that's almost 50 people, folks, killed 2017 to 2018. Now, that said. South Africa actually has a violent crime problem, um, but there are 47 farmers who were killed. Uh, so people look at this, and, and I think that they, first of all, understand if this were happening to anyone who was not white European of white European ancestry, uh, they would be utterly horrified, and CNN and the BBC would be all over it, and this would be a major, major news story. But there is a sense, a, a sort of continuing sense, uh, that... White people everywhere and anywhere are part of this leftist concept of of white supremacy, and that they are the they are ultimately the problem, even when other people are the ones attacking them. Uh, the left really does kind of believe that. And then there's also some Marxist threads running through this. When I mean, you have the uh, African National Congress chairman making a statement last week, you shouldn't own more than twenty five thousand acres of land. Therefore, if you own more, it should be taken without compensation. I mean, they're talking about seizing property now, folks, and that just doesn't have an effect for those who own the property. It has an effect for the whole country, because do you think a lot of foreign investors want to get involved in a country where on racial uh, on under racial uh, guidelines, they're going to seize property? No. Now you don't want to be an investor there, you don't want your capital there, you don't believe in rule of law there, and the country deteriorates very, very quickly. Always remember this, what really separates us from much of the rest of the world, most of the rest of the world, is that we have a rule of law that is understood widely and based in individual rights, and it's really the basis of our entire civil society. Yes, the Constitution, but just in general, the concept of rule of law. They're losing that right now in South Africa, and people are worried about the economic and even possible uh, consequences of violence that could follow. Hey, Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call. All right, everybody, Roll Call. I am uh, going to be out tomorrow, by the way, before I get into the Roll Call. Just to let you know, I'll be out in Los Angeles. A city that I have tremendous fondness for, even though I talk a little New York City, New York City style smack about the West Coast sometimes. I do, I do love L.A., and if you happen to see me walking around uh, West Hollywood or Santa Monica, and you're part of Team Buck, by all means, say hello. Those are really the only places I spend any time in L.A. I probably should get out to some other parts of L.A. Uh, that's I, I don't go to Beverly Hills. I don't go downtown. I pretty much stay on the West Side and. Uh, I'd like to spend a little more time down in Marina Del Rey, actually. I hear it's very nice. All right, roll call. It's time. Oh, the, the godfather, though, uh, doctor. No, he's not a doctor. <laughs> Why am I calling him a doctor? Michael Pelka, he is in for me tomorrow, so you will have a great time. Uh, Brian, first up here, writes, Hey, Buck, in full disclosure, I am a 29-year-old black man incarcerated in a New York prison. Once I was a criminal justice major and aspiring law enforcement officer, obviously got lost along the way. But I'm a conservative who convinced his leftist wife to vote for Trump, and I have informed her of the right way. If you've ever been in Utica, New York, doubt you ever will be. Check out the uh, tattoo shop that she runs. Okay, cool. It's the greatest tattoo parlor ever. And it's secure thanks to Simply Safe. All right, Brian, that's awesome. Thank you. I love getting a little sponsor shout out here. Hopefully you used promo code Buck. Um, I listen to you each night, Buck, and you're captivating, entertaining, and knowledgeable, as well as funny more so than mark levin bill cunningham or the others you got it hands down my man one day i'll listen to your podcast until then i'll continue my mission and duty of converting the other fifty-four thousand liberal progressive socialist inmates one convict at a time it's an uphill battle uh though my friend i support law enforcement oh yeah uh i get you some uh, get you some and i support what you're doing um before i forget shields high, baby well brian hey man shields high to you uh, and thank you so much for the very kind note. And, you know, honestly, it, it, it's, it's inspiring to hear, one, somebody who's trying to just convert people to the righteousness of conservative thinking. Uh, but also, man, I, I really appreciate your attitude. I mean, clearly you're writing to me from uh, being incarcerated, but you're, you understand that everyone has, no matter where they are or what they're doing, they can contribute, they can be positive, they can uh, continue to inspire people around them. They can build their relationship uh, with their loved ones and, and with God. They can, be, they can be forces for positivity and good wherever they are. And clearly, Brian, you've made that choice uh, from where you are while incarcerated. And look, my friend, please keep it up. Please keep listening. Uh, it's an honor to have you as part of Team Buck. Uh, I'm sure you've got big plans for when you get out to uh, make the most of all of that time you have left and, and everything that you can do so god bless my friend and uh take advantage of every moment inside and and outside uh when uh, and i'm sure you're going to be outside soon just uh keep praying keep taking care of those around you and uh you'll be you'll be good and please keep listening to the show monica hey buck please tell me the scooter story was a comedy skit lie to me if you have to (laughs) Shield tie from team buck okinawa monica i cannot tell a lie at least not to team Buck. I like those electric scooters. I know it's so hipster left coast elitist green energy nonsense, but they're so I mean it's fun. You get on there. And that's by the way, that's exactly the noise. You know, if you're on a motorcycle it makes a real noise. If you're on a little scooters, it's like you're on a little bee. I'm riding my bubble bee to work, bubble bee, bubble bee, bzzz. So, yeah, uh, it's fun, though. It's, I'm telling you, it's fun. You, know, you don't knock until you try it. I was knocking it. I was like, who are these dorks riding around on electric scooters? Uh, and sure enough, I'm one of those dorks now. So I, I cannot lie to you, Monica. All right, now it's Leanna who is up. Hey, Buck, listening to Tuesday's podcast, you were talking about Hillary running again. My thought from the day after Trump was elected is that if Michelle Obama will come out a year before the next presidential election like her husband did and run for president, just think the first black woman president with the Obama name would probably get the nomination. What do you think? Uh, I think that Michelle Obama, if she chose to run, would be a, a formidable candidate. I'll uh, be completely honest with you. I think that I think the, the Obama name carries a lot more weight Uh, A lot more weight in Democrat circles now than the Clinton name does. And it's just a question of, would Michelle Obama want to do that? Um, And the answer is, I have no idea. So, there you have it. Daniel writes, great show tonight, Buck. Maybe you can work in Cuomo-phobia sometime. Well, Daniel, I think I just did. I think I just worked it in. Work it, so uh, I just did. Um, Robert writes, love the show. Just heard you talk about the list of things to do in New York City. What are they? I'm too slow and miss them. Do you have them posted somewhere? Well, Robert, my first advice for uh, people in, in New York City is uh, avoid a, f- a few things here. In my, in my opinion, avoid Times Square because it's not New York. It's specifically designed for people who are coming to New York and therefore really has very little connection to the rest of the city. I know there are some inexpensive hotels there, so if you choose to stay in that area, I totally understand. My recommendation, though, would be to stay elsewhere in, in Manhattan uh, when you're visiting the city. Uh, I would say even stay in the financial district, which isn't thought of as a place where people visit a lot, but there's beautiful stuff down there. It's, the Battery Park is gorgeous, especially if it's a nice time of year. Uh, the streets that part of New York City are just fun to walk around. You go see the Stock Exchange, go see Trinity Church. There's a lot of history in that southern part of Manhattan, and I think that because it's a lot of business hotels, you can actually get some pretty good deals down there, uh, and and get some pretty you know get get some good bang for your buck, so to speak. And then in terms of stuff to see, I'm a big fan of Central Park, but start at the southern end and walk up north and I generally say walk up north and then head east when you hit the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Go to the Metropolitan Museum of Art as well. Uh, Certainly worth it. If you're into modern art, go to MoMA. I am not into modern art, I cannot lie, so I'm not a MoMA person. Uh, The place I always recommend for burgers is J.G. Melon's on the Upper East Side. It's quite an experience. Nothing fancy, all cash, but uh, delicious, delicious burgers. And then I would also say you could go to the High Line, which is an elevated park which connects to Chelsea Market. This is in the Chelsea neighborhood, which is also just fun to walk around and get a sense of New York City. There's a lot of art galleries in Chelsea, a lot of really good little restaurants and uh, great coffee, great bars. So I used to, I've lived in Chelsea in a couple of places, so I would highly, I would highly uh, recommend Chelsea. And uh, Greenwich Village, probably my favorite part of all of New York City, connects to Washington Square Park. Go to Washington Square Park. Walk around that area. Go south of it. Just just walk the streets. I mean, the thing about New York is that the neighborhoods are so different. There's so much going on that to really get a sense, really get a sense of it, you want to you want to walk around and, and experience the city on foot as much as possible. So I don't recommend taking uh, one of those buses and seeing stuff from the bus. I think you really want to walk the streets a bit. And then there's the other the the big stuff uh, that you, everybody should go check out at some point. You know, the Statue of Liberty. I've never been to the Statue of Liberty. I know, I'm embarrassed. Producer Mike is shaking his head in shame right now. I love America and freedom. I've never been to the Statue of Liberty, but I will will fix that at some point. And then also, uh, go to the top of the Empire State Building. Go to the the top of Rockefeller Center, actually, as well, if you want views. Uh, Go to the 9-11 Memorial and Museum. It's incredible. And that's actually, that whole area has been revitalized in Manhattan. So that's my... Oh, and pick a show. You're in New York. Go to you know. There's nowhere else like it for Broadway shows. I'm not a Broadway show guy, but if you're a visitor, it's certainly worth it. That's my. And then in terms of restaurants, just just do your internet research, folks, because the best food in the world. That's the best food in the world. I feel like I'm getting a little nostalgic for New York City now. I'm just. That's my visitor's guide for you as a born and raised New York native. Uh, Those are the things that I would do. And if, obviously, you're a baseball person, you go to a Yankees game, I would not go to a Mets game, just putting that out there. It's my, my, my preference. Uh, and Madison Square Garden has fun stuff going on, too. But it's really, for me, it's about the neighborhoods and walking those neighborhoods. All right, I've gotten so diverted. I'm going to come back. We're going to finish out Roll Call because I will not be with you tomorrow to do the Roll Call. So we'll come back to some more. On the flip side, stay with me.
0: buck it's time for roll call
1: all right second part of roll call because again i'm going to be gone for the weekend which means I, I will miss you all very much but the godfather michael pelk is in tomorrow so you are in good hands my friends uh let's get right to it though to the roll call I'll get to hear from all of you especially because i feel like the podcast fam of team buck you know you guys generally don't get to call in on air so that's why i love doing roll call so your voice your thoughts your comments Get heard by everybody. Uh, Jeffrey writes, I'll be impressed if you stay on this show over a long time because Crystal is really exhausting in her points of view sometimes. Well, Jeffrey, I appreciate your appreciation for my my patience, um, but I am very fond of my co-host. And uh, I think we are we are doing a very good job of uh, towing a difficult line, which is to have a she is a, a a a very progressive person uh, political activist and strategist and i am obviously very conservative the fact that we are as civil to each other as we are i think is is something of a testament to the show but i thanks for thinking of me and looking out for me and uh i I hope that it goes for uh, a long time um next up here we have hold on a second Willie, who writes somebody gave cohen bad advice lanny davis is a clinton nut well, Willie, I, I got to tell you, um, I, I don't know. I mean, it's uh, these lawyers, a lot of them are, are really acting much more like PR strategists than lawyers. Uh, they, they don't seem to have all that much interest in um, in the legal aspect of things as much as they are trying to try the case in the in the public mind or the public eye. So, yeah, I, I don't know. And Lanny Davis, you know, he's a charming fellow. But, yeah, he's a he's a Clintonista. No, qu- or Clintonisto. No question about it. And I think that if but let's be honest here for a second, folks, I mean, we're always honest, but you know what I mean? Do you think that Cohen is going to get a really a really good lawyer? I mean, do you think that, you know, his his uh, his judgment appears to be lacking from what I can tell Richard uh, Richard is next up here. He writes, I'm on an elliptical at my gym in upper Montgomery County, and I see on the two screens to my left and to my right, MSNBC and CNN with Fox on my screen in the middle. Just could not let that stand. I finished my workout and proceeded to change the other four screens to Fox. One problem to do that, I have to get on each machine and start pedaling to start the program. Uh, yep, I got on each one, moving down the line, to changing the channels to the right station and putting on closed captioning. Hashtag new rules, hashtag dancing. Uh, this one, I think, from our friend Dr. Rick. Dr. Rick. My friend, you you get on that elliptical for freedom, my man. You, you do it. You get out there. You change those channels around. I can tell you that uh, in my old gym in New York, um, I, had, I belonged to a few gyms. I, I don't think I ever saw Fox News on. It was always CNN, MSNBC, ESPN. That was the lineup that you had. And sometimes E, you know, because people need to know OMG. Like what is Cardi B saying about that thing? That's y a a a a s. Um, but yeah, I never saw Fox in the gym. I think people. I honestly think people would complain. Uh, William writes. Uh, hold on a second. I was at the Virginia Hospital near Fort Bragg the other day with my wife. She loves red vines as opposed to Twizzlers. You can hardly find red vines anywhere, so we bought them. I bought a Gatorade. I bit the ends off one of her red vines and drank my Gatorade through my red vine straw. This is quite a story, William. Red vines are made in California. I'm a true capitalist. Red vines could become the new straw. All the old veterans were laughing at me and my wife said, you're crazy, but she always calls me crazy and a dirty old man, but I'm only 45. I love making folks laugh, especially old veterans. Well, me too, William. Replace plastic straws with red vines. Delicious and environmentally friendly. William, you may be onto something, my man. You know, it's very functional. It's a uh, kind of hip. William also writes you, Dan Bongino, Ben Shapiro, and of course Joe Rogan. I don't watch much TV; mostly listen to you four jokers at night. Best podcasts out there. Well, William, thank you very much. I, I really do appreciate that. And and uh, you know, we are hoping to even expand the podcast audience more than than we have thus far. So uh, please do spread the word. Tell all your friends, veteran friends, everybody. Please do tell them. Um, next we have Daniel who writes the payments were not the illegality. It was not filling the proper declaring expenditure paperwork shields high. Uh, we well, had yeah, Daniel. I mean, the, the payments that were not, first of all, I don't think that they were illegal under any circumstances because I think that it stretches the definition of a campaign expenditure to the breaking point. But beyond that, uh, it's because they did not file those campaign expenses uh, so yes i i think look we'll we'll get obviously we're going to continue to cover this and uh you know i appreciate you weighing in um next up here we have sharon who writes my faith in law enforcement in general has been severely diminished not only because of the fbi people in the upper echelon but also after the parkland shooting how overt does the threat have to be before they take action And now with that, with what this Brennan guy is saying, I'm just disgusted with the whole lot of them. You know, Sharon, I I do think that this is one of the big uh, unfortunate realities of all the stuff that we've seen with this uh, deep state action against against Trump is that folks like you and me uh, don't feel the same way about senior law enforcement officials. Once you start to lose faith in DOJ, what, what do you know after that? All we got left to have faith in is our military. And as great as our military is, they're not in charge of us you know, in the States day to day. Right. So uh, they they got a function just to protect us from enemies. They're not policing our lives. So, you know, that's that's troubling. And I I agree with you that it's troubling. Alan writes, Buck, time for all the intelligence officials past and present that signed a letter supporting Brennan to have their clearances revoked. Get with the program or get out of the way. Alan's not messing around here. Uh, Nick writes thoughts on the accuracy of the Looming looming Tower on Hulu. Uh, you know, Nick, I haven't seen it. I've read the book by Lawrence Wright. I have not seen the movie, so I would just say uh, I can't give you an answer right now, but uh, I will check it out, I think. And that's going to be it for today, folks. I'm going to talk to you on Monday, obviously, here in the hut. Uh, the Godfather, Michael Pelka will be in for me tomorrow. Please do call him. Make him feel welcome and at home. He... he He loves all of you because, you know, he's OSS. He was with me in the earliest days of the show as one of my earliest guests, uh, regular guests. So there's a synchronicity there. Um, And uh, we always appreciate having Michael Pelka step in. Uh, I'll be out in L.A. this weekend. If you see me uh, on the west side, say hi. And until next time,
2: Shields High.